pray. Before we do, just want you to know um, we're praying with the Shropshires this week. Kyle will be leaving for uh, Liberia uh, this week to rebuild a tower. And uh, that tower will be done in two phases. So he'll be back, going back in January as well. But that tower is the purpose and intent is for the gospel to be preached um, both locally there and globally. He will then go from Liberia to Senegal to help his brother TJ as TJ and Lily are building their house. Uh, for those of you who are guests, TJ and Lily are, are um, missionaries in Africa. And so he'll be working with TJ on house construction and in total will be gone for about four weeks. So we want to pray for them. And uh, not only for Kyle, but we want to pray for Cherie. And they've been battling COVID this past week. And so health and safety and all these things. So, Father, we want to lift up the Shropshires to you. We pray, first of all, for Kyle. We pray for his trip, Lord. We just pray for your mercy as he travels, Lord, protection, safety, Lord, health, God. And then just success in every truest sense of that word, Lord, success in the gospel, Lord, for gospel advancement to take place due to the behind the scenes work that Kyle is doing. Lord, we pray that you would bless our brother on this trip. And then we also pray for his time there in Senegal um, and just in the village with TJ as they work on that house. And we just pray for success there as well. Lord, we pray for just um, increase labor and for just that house to continue to get built and to come to a close at the end of this summer. Lord, please bless time together as brothers and uh, bless them, we pray. And then, Lord, we do, we pray for the Shropshire family as they've been battling with COVID. We ask that you would give them strength and health and please bless Cherie, Lord, um, in this four weeks of time without her husband. And the children with their dad, Father, we pray that you would strengthen the family, Lord, give them good health and bless them as they finish out the school year and all that's on their plate, Lord. We thank you. Lord, we also pray for the preaching of your word now. Lord, it is a joy. It is not a token thing to say. It is a privilege to now preach your word. Lord, help me as the preacher, help us as listeners to hear what you would have us to hear. In your precious name, amen. Everybody, this might surprise you, but everybody in the room has faith. Everybody does what they do based on that faith. Based on what they believe to be true. Some of you are here this morning because you believe in Jesus Christ. You have faith in Christ. Some of you are here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. Others of you are here this morning and quite frankly, you're not sure quite what to think about Jesus Christ. You might be here this morning because you feel it's a good religious thing to do. It's Easter. Maybe you're here this morning because, well, you kind of feel like you've been living bad and maybe you're here to score some points with God. Got to make up for the past year kind of thing. Got to get on God's good side. That too is a faith. You may not have known it, but we are all people of faith. All we do is based on faith. The atheist that denies God, denies that he exists, does so by faith. This faith places trust in the belief that there is no God. This faith is a faith in oneself, in one's own knowledge. A Christian is not a Christian because they have faith. A Christian is a Christian because of the person they put their faith in, Jesus Christ. A non-Christian is not a Christian because they put their faith in someone else or something else. But both have faith. I used to have these coffee conversations with a person who claimed he had no faith. They were fun conversations. We didn't, we didn't agree on a single thing. And yet we would have these respectful conversations 
um, in all of our disagreement, uh, we both just appreciated each other's company. One day he told me in a, I'm sorry for you kind of way that I think in a box. He was referring to my view of God's word. He was saying that this book is my box and I think in my box. While I don't think of God's word as a box, I was appreciative. You're dead on. (laughs) You're right. This is exactly how I think. And I was appreciative that at least I had, you know, I feel like I blunder a lot of these conversations, but um, that at least I had communicated that much. It's true. This book guides my life. It guides the life of the believer in Jesus Christ. It guides, you just heard, it guides marriage. It guides parenting. It guides how you do work. It guides how you live. It guides how you die. This book. So while I don't prefer to think of it as a box, I just kind of figured, well, let's go with it. Let's go with this idea that this is my box that I think, um, I don't think outside of. He was saying that to say, whereas for him, he has complete freedom to think outside of the box. He was telling me that he has a complete open mind in a way that I'm not able to have and to think freely about anything, whereas I can only think in terms of my box. Following? I sought to explain to him that everything he just told me was a box. And he was thinking in his box that he doesn't actually have the freedom that he thinks he has because he can only think what he can think. Even when he reads materials to expand his thinking, I was trying to explain to him that his box only allows him to engage with the ideas that he simply already agrees with. So as long as what he's reading is agreeable to his pre conceived ideas, then he loves them and agrees with them. Trying to say to my friend, you too have a box. He has confirmation bias. If he agrees with what he thinks, then he likes it. If he doesn't, then he rejects it. And I explained to him, he has much less freedom than he thinks he has. I explained to him that he too, that all of us, if we want to call it that, have a box. The question isn't, do you have a box? The question is, is your box any good? This is important because it's from our box that we process life. I believe my box to be true. Just like his box guides his life and his future death, However, his box will only allow him to accept that which is agreeable to what he already thinks and believes. Whereas my box, if we want to call it a box, is always challenging me. From the day I came to saving faith, my box is always revealing where I'm wrong. Within my box is an infinite God. And I will never, you will never exhaust in growing in your understanding of the glories of the God in which it contains. Now, me and my friend, we disagreed on almost everything. And yet, what I'm trying to say to you is we both have faith. Mine is a faith in God. His is a faith in himself. Each year, Easter comes and Easter goes, and for some, this is just one of many holidays, maybe, maybe a holiday that's slightly notched up from other holidays. But for the Christian, it's not just another day or another holiday. It's, it's where the Christian hangs all of his or her faith, 
Like with all of your weight, with all that you are, you hang your faith on this very thing. Christ has risen from the dead. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. We've already read it this morning. Begins with the word, but. But on the first day of the week. And I just like how it just turns the page, if you will, or turns on the hinge. Christ has just died, chapter 23. Christ is buried in the grave at the end of chapter 3, verse uh, 1 of chapter 24. But on the first day of the week. And I want you to imagine with me some things. I want you to imagine the horrors of Friday. The absolute horrors of Friday. I want you to imagine the feelings. We know from scripture it tells us that the disciples have, have, they've already begun on Friday to separate themselves from Jesus. It it, it wasn't a healthy thing, right? Like there was a recognition that we've got to put some distance between us and that man who's hanging on the cross. Imagine the horrors of Friday as they began to see played out before them what was happening to this man that they had grown to come to think is the son of God. Imagine the horrors of Friday as expectations were completely crushed. It wasn't just that they were losing a a close friend. It was that they had pinned all of their hopes. All of the expectation of what is to come was was landing on that man. We're, We're putting our faith into this man. It didn't start out that way. Initially, they were skeptics. Initially, they were unsure of him. Initially, right, like the people, the crowds around him, who is this man? Who's his father? He's talking like he would say things like, well, the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is, which is a way to say uh, God is before you. God has come it's at hand. You're, you're, you're looking into the face of God here. He has taken on human flesh. They could, they could touch him. They could, they could pinch him. For the Jew, there was an expectation. They had prophetic words that a Messiah would come. And they had a history about that. They could, they could look back in their, their history and see that a savior, a deliverer came to them while they were slaves in Egypt. A deliverer came. It was Moses. God raised up Moses to deliver them from the slavery of Egypt. And he did so miraculously to save his people. And you jump forward now to the Jews of the New Testament and, and they're in that same place of looking for a Messiah, looking for a deliverer, looking for someone to come and deliver them, not from Egypt, but from the tyranny of Rome. Initially, they were skeptic, but the more they spent time with Jesus, they became more and more convinced. Is this the one? Is this the one? I think this is the one. This is the one. And then he died. We thought that was the one. It was of mockery that they hung the sign over his head, King of the Jews. This is no king. The culture of the day was Caesar is Lord. They began to, if you will, buy into the idea Jesus is Lord, but now the Lord is being crucified. And our Messiah, the one that we had hoped for, the one that we had been looking towards, all of that history is being crushed on the cross. The horrors of Friday, the pain, the painful realities of Saturday. I wonder, you know, would you imagine with me, did, did they sleep that night? What was sleep like for the disciples? 
for the follower of Jesus Christ? What was, what was that like? Did, did, did they just, how many images would have been in their head as you lay your head on your pillow? Did you just kind of wake up after a couple hours of sleep and completely immediately remember the horrors of Friday? How long was Saturday? Never has there been a longer 24 hours. How long was Saturday as heaven remained silent? Sunday. It wasn't as if the ladies ran to the tomb. They weren't expecting anything on Sunday. It was a repeat of Saturday when they woke up. They will head to the tomb. It tells us, verse 1, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They, they're going to prepare the body. And they found the stone rolled away. Imagine, what was that walk towards the tomb like? Were these women in tears as they discussed the horrors of two days ago? Again, it's not like they were headed towards the grave wondering. It's not like the conversation was, do you think? Maybe? No, it was just in light of Friday. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Amen. While they were perplexed about this, <laughs> I love that. You think, you think they were perplexed about this? Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Wow. Imagine the horrors of Friday. Imagine the painful realities of Saturday, the silence of heaven. Imagine Sunday. Secondly, remember. I love verses six and eight in Luke's account. The angel, one of the angels says to them, he is not here, but has risen Remember how he told you? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? Verse 9, and they remembered his words. I think that is a reminder to us. Have you forgotten his words? Now, it's not like they completely forgotten them. It, when the angels are, are calling on them to remember, do you remember his words? The answer is, is yes and no. Like they had knowledge of his words, but it's just up here. Like it's not been applied into their lives yet. Like they're not living in the good of his words, we could say. Have you remembered his words? Not just factually, not just in your mind, not just do you have knowledge of some things that Jesus said, but are you living in the good of what Jesus said? That's the question to them. That's the question to us. Have you become so busy in life that maybe you know some things about Jesus factually, some things that he said, but you've forgotten some important things? about this? Do you think Friday clouded their ability to remember some things that he said no more than a, a week ago? Palm Sunday. Like Jesus said some amazing things during that week leading up to his death on the cross. Do you think that Friday clouded their ability to remember? Like the things that he had said of himself 
Well, we know those, but then we have the cross. We know he said such and such and such and such and such and such. We know that he said of himself that he's the son of God. But we've got the cross. I wonder again, how long was Saturday? The anguish of Saturday, the grief of Saturday. How easy it was for them to forget some things that he had said on Saturday. All they can remember is Friday. He's dead. Now an angel on Sunday is asking them if they remember what he said. And the answer is no. What we remember is Friday. The church is a remembering kind of community. We help each other remember. We've done it this morning. We do it through singing. We do it through preaching. We do it in the children's ministry. We do it through small conversations. We do it through text messages. We do it over coffee chats. We do it over social media. We do it with communion. We had that on, on Friday night. We do it through our community groups. We are a remembering kind of community because we so quickly forget. We so quickly forget, not because of our Friday. I mean, much smaller things distract us and cause us to forget. Please return with us next Sunday where we will continue in our, we're in a series on 1 Thessalonians where we will be reminding ourselves of some things. So first of all, I want you to imagine. Second of all, I want you to remember. Third of all, we're told in the text to believe. Let's go back to verse nine. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things. So the, so the women are returning from the tomb. They tell all these things to the 11 and all, all the rest. That's it's the disciples. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles Look at verse 11, but these words seemed to be an idle tale and they did not believe them. Now we're not talking about, you know, the riffraff of people. We're talking about those who are the closest companions to Jesus. Like, and so, to some degree it should help us, right? Like just a little bit in our Lack of remi re remembering in, in our, like, do we have any skeptics in the room? Do we have any doubters in the room? Like, it's good that you would be here. Have you ever had questions or skepticism or doubt about God's word or about Jesus? Or look, you're in good company here. People. 11 guys who walk side by side, flesh and blood, along with Jesus, they're going to the ladies. It's an idle tale. They did not believe them. Wow. In some ways, I find that so encouraging. If you are a skeptic, if you do not believe in Jesus, it's good that you're here. We're so glad that you're here. We say, bring your skepticism. It's appropriate. Bring your questions. Let's chat. You know, even for these ladies, it's not like, again, it's not like they woke up on Sunday and ran to the tomb. expecting or even wondering, do you think he'll be there? Do you think he'll be there? I don't think he'll be. Maybe he'll be. No, they just go in grief. It's the reason why they'd prepared the spices. The expectation is that Jesus will be there. They're not thinking risen. They're not thinking Maybe 
It does say back there in verse 8, and they remembered his words. And so in verse 9, they go and tell the 11 disciples. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. I just love verse 12, where it says, but Peter, but Peter. Wait a minute, Peter. Like, I don't think that's random. I don't think anything in God's word is random. I think there's an intent here. Out of 11, we're being pointed to one. But Peter. Let me tell you some things about Peter or read you some things about Peter. I believe it'll be on the screen behind you. Matthew 26 records, then Jesus said to them, his disciples, he says, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away. Can you imagine? <laughs> all you guys. He says, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. You know, Peter's basically saying, Jesus is saying, you're going to deny me. Peter's saying over my dead body, I will not deny you. Same chapter, end of that chapter beginning in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and he said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Immediately, the rooster crowed. And Peter, note the word, remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. How long was Saturday for Peter? What kind of grief and anguish for Peter? Peter's Saturday must have been filled with unimaginable Grief, regret, guilt. But it wasn't an idle tale. Imagine Peter's Sunday. Grief was over. Sadness was gone. You know how you go back and you recall conversations? You know, something is brought to you and you're not understanding, wait, why this? And then you recall certain things and certain conversations and you start to go, oh, you know what? I just missed all that. I wasn't catching all that. Now this decision, it makes sense in light of those conversations. Do you think Peter was doing some of that? <laughs> and so we find him. It says, but Peter rose. So you've got the whole, all right, the ladies are telling the 11 apostles and it seems like an idle tale. They didn't believe. Verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Like for Peter, he must have been recalling some things. 
where he's going, wait a minute. John tells us that he outruns Peter, which is kind of funny in John's gospel. It's guys. It's a guy thing. We always, we're competing all the time. Do you think as he ran to the tomb, he wasn't rehashing some things in his mind? Some things that Jesus had said? Do you think he wasn't rehashing? This is now Sunday, two nights ago, when he had denied Christ, when the horrors of Friday was before him. Peter now runs back remembering some things about Jesus. And so we find him running to the tomb. Could it be? He said it would be. You see, for Peter, his sin, his denial of Christ just two days ago is no match for the saving power of Jesus. And maybe that's you. Maybe you could say, maybe you could join with Peter. Please, by all means, join with me in in, in confessing, you know what? I've blown it. I've got grief over my sin and regret and sadness. It's the long Saturday of your life. And I'm here to tell you, you don't need to live forever on Saturday. That there's a Sunday. And for Peter and for all sinners everywhere throughout time who come to Sunday and recognize Christ has risen from the grave. All grief is gone at that point. All anguish and regret and sadness. It's Sunday. So I want to invite you to come. Come to Sunday. Come to Sunday where Jesus is not found in the tomb. Come to the tomb with me and Peter and believers this morning. Come to Sunday and find Christ is risen from the grave. Remembering leads to believing, which leads to marveling. Did you hear it in the end? the end of our text, and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. That's what happens. That's what remembering and believing leads to. It leads to marveling. Marveling, it means awe. He went home in awe of God. He went home worshiping God. He went home celebrating, marveling, worshiping. I'm in awe of you, God. You have risen from the grave just as you said you would. I think verse 12, it's one of those verses that is just so incredibly understated in God's word. Like, we need bold text. We need underlining. We need, we need highlighter. We need something that draws our attention because we've read it a thousand times perhaps and we've never even seen the word. Oh, do you think so, Peter? You think he was marveling? After all that regret, out of all that grief and all that sadness and the silence of Saturday, now he's come to Sunday. Christ is risen from the grave. Are you marveling? Because that's us, sinners saved by the mercy and grace of our God, mercy and grace that we do not deserve, has been offered to us, is brought to us. And that's why perhaps, perhaps you're new this morning and you're kind of walking in the room and these people are singing loudly and they're raising their hands and they're clapping and you're going, what is wrong with these people? Here's what's wrong with these people. They are marveling at what has happened. We are celebrating. That's our faith. And our entire lives, indeed, even our deaths, are hung 
on this truth that that man is the son of God and he's risen from the grave and we put all of our weight right there at that empty tomb. Praise be to our God. And so we do, we rejoice, we worship, we celebrate the risen Savior. We shout, we're filled. You heard it in the testimony, filled with hope. As a matter of fact, a remembering that doesn't lead to a believing, that doesn't lead to a marveling, probably doesn't really believe or remember. It might remember some factual things, as I said earlier, but it's not remembering, it's not living in the good of the things that Jesus said. When you say, I believe in Jesus, let me ask you, does that lead you to marvel? What are they marveling in? Well, certainly that he's risen. But I believe that's just the beginning of their marvel. They're marveling in every word the man spoke. As they come into greater and greater awareness, this Friday, we were wondering what happened. We thought he was the Savior. Sunday, he's the Savior. We thought he was coming to deliver us from the Romans. We thought that was the big thing. He came to deliver us from the eternal, ultimate thing, from sin and death. Rome, Rome oh, he came. That's a small gospel, big gospel. Oh, he came to die for your and my sin and death. He conquered the grave. That's why we Christians say we are saved. We are saved. Yeah, they're marveling. They're marveling that, yeah, it, he's risen. That's a good starting point. But what that means is that everything he said, every word, it's true. It's true. He is who he said he is. He is the son of God. Remember when he said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve? By laying down his life, by becoming a ransom for many, oh my, he's a ransom for us. He, meaning he has purchased our redemption. He has purchased our salvation. You see, you can't purchase your own salvation. You can't earn salvation. You can't earn favor from God. You can't thank you for being here, but if you've come to in some way Get some good points with God because you've kind of been living bad. Listen, don't come for that reason. You can't earn that. Grace is grace, meaning it can't be earned. It's given. And so the, the, you, you go, well, what did I do? I'm a sinner. Oh, you repent of your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. That's what you do. And he's a gracious savior. You see, you might even be thinking like the Jew thought in his day. Oh, we just want, we just want a Messiah who's going to deliver us from the tyranny of Rome. That's small gospel. You might be thinking, we just want a savior who's going to deliver us from COVID. Small gospel. Oh, we've got much bigger problems than COVID as sinners. We need a bigger savior. Christ came to die, to then rise from the grave to deliver you from your greatest enemy of sin and death. And so the believer joins with Peter here. and We marvel. What a savior. We can get so casual. We can get so comfortable with Easter, resurrection day. Oh, marvel, marvel. Lastly, we anticipate. As I mentioned, we're in a series of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. So I want you to think of this last point as a little bit of a teaser for our series in the Thessalonians. 
a little bit of a teaser, a little bit of a reminder of our current series because wrapped up in Resurrection Sunday is another, hear me, reminder. We're to remember some things. And when we're remembering Resurrection Sunday, when we're remembering that Jesus said that he would rise from the grave and nobody saw it coming, even though he told them it was coming, they completely missed it. Jesus said some other things. And one of those things he said that people are completely missing today as well. I will come again. I will come again. The marveling leads to an anticipating. Wrapped in the reminder and the believe and the marveling is this great anticipation. Christ will return. You say, how do you know that? Well, because he said he would. And just as in first century Rome, people were walking around going, well, how do we know? How do we know that he's God? Well, because he told us, because he, it was prophesied. We're not, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior to him coming, he said he would come. And then when he came, everybody's looking around going, well, do we really know if, he, if he'll come? Yeah, he'll come. And he's standing there in flesh and blood. But how do we know will he come? And so people say today, how do we know that he'll come again? Well, because he came. And then he rose. (laughs) I'm more of the opinion, why in the world would we think he wouldn't come? Just as sure as he came and he did what he said he would do, and he was who he said he was, and he promised that he will come again, and he will. Some of you are thinking, really? Do you, 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 I mean, some people have been saying amen at this point in the sermon. Are you, do you people really think that? Do you really believe that he'll come again? Yes. Yes. Yes, we absolutely do. And that is exactly what most of the people said when he came the first time. You really believe? Most of the people doubted him. Most of the people refused to believe. Yes, he will come again. And I'm saying that the empty tomb is not the end of the story. Think of it like this. The empty tomb is pregnant with anticipation. It's pregnant with meaning when the tomb shouts that this man was who he says he was. It shouts that every word he spoke, yep, it was true. Every promise will be fulfilled. Yes, Jesus will come again. And so we anticipate. Would you stand with me? And let's just close with a few moments of marveling singing to our great God.
we started this service with the beautiful um, testimony from Danielle, and it probably grabbed so many of our hearts as we realized that um, we were Danielle at different times in our life, and the the weight of the world and the confusion of who is God weighed so heavy on us. We didn't really know who he was. And maybe you already ran through that field and maybe you already bowed your knee to Christ and today you're celebrating. But maybe you didn't and maybe you're still running. Back in the um, Old Testament book, um, there was men and they, they thought they understood the mind of God. And so they were looking for a new king and they were like, surely it's going to look like this. Surely this is what God would pick. Surely this is what he wants. And they looked at all the strong and all the people that looked in appearance to be the ones that God would surely pick. And, uh, and Samuel said, no, that's not. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on his height or on his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. The Lord does not look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And as Tim was preaching today, and I thought to myself, wow, God, you're a God who looks to the heart. And we're just so limited. All we see is the outside or all we see is how we're doing or how we're not doing or evaluating the world. And then just brought me to Romans where Paul, who had been raised so strongly in the Jewish tradition, thought he knew, thought he knew exactly what God wanted, but he didn't know either. And God helped him see. And just this morning, it's just in my heart, God will help us see. I remember when he helped me see because I didn't know either. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, I do want to know God, I am hungry for him. And maybe I have been running or Maybe I just don't know what to do. Romans says this to us. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That's the word of faith that we proclaim. That's the gospel we've heard this morning. But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the name For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I pray today, oh God, that that any of us who are running in that field of this world, seeking you, God, would you soften our hearts? Would you show us that you are real? Please reveal uh, yourself to us and help us to bow our knees to you and call out. Lord, today we know is the day we can call to you. Religious thing. So clear Perhaps God is drawing your heart to. that those of you who are calling out to God for salvation, um, would you talk to the person that maybe, maybe you know somebody in the room? If you don't, please feel free. You can talk to myself, one of the elders, someone sitting near you, but I would encourage you, um, talk to someone and uh, yes, call out to the Lord. Perhaps you're not there yet. Perhaps you're a skeptic, as we mentioned earlier. Can I invite you? Come back next week. It's a great place to be on a Sunday morning, and we welcome skeptics very much so. We want you to be here. This is your benediction. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter. <laughs> Blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christ is risen. Have a wonderful day. God bless you.